what's up, church family? I'm so glad to come at you on the internet from an almost empty room. Uh, I'm thankful this room is not completely empty, that we got Sylvester here, and Dee and Corey. I'm really glad to get to bring the word to you today. Uh, Last week, we did something with Momentum, where we started an online chat, and we were asking questions and kind of discussing, and it helped us engage better and uh, get our minds working while we were studying the word together. So... We want to try it with you adults as well. We got the chat right here on YouTube, and Pastor Corey's going to be asking some different questions, and you can ask each other questions just to help keep our minds engaged and engaging with God's Word. So I'm really excited to teach you today. Jesus had just sent out his 12 disciples. He'd given them all these instructions, and he'd said, you guys are going to go into every town, and you're going to go share the word, and you're going to go heal people, and you're going to go do amazing things, and now go. And they're like, okay. Jesus said, go. So we're going. And they go, and Jesus finds himself without his 12 disciples. But he wasn't going to stop his mission. He kept going. He went into the towns, and he started preaching to people. That was what he did. That was his mission. And while he was there teaching, some of John the Baptist's disciples walked up. And they kind of interrupted him in the middle of his talk. And they came from John the Baptist, who is now in prison. And they said to Jesus, Look, John told us to ask you, Are you the Messiah who's supposed to come or not? Do we need to keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told them, naturally, you know, Jesus didn't give them well, yes, I'm the Messiah. He gave them a Jesus answer. He said, well, look around you. Like, the blind are healed, uh, the dead are raised, good news is preached to the poor. Oh, and blessed are those who are not offended by me. And so the disciples of John are like, Psh, offended by you? Psh, and then they walk away offended, okay? <laughs> and so Jesus turns his attention back to the crowds and He just continues to teach them. But now he's thinking about John. His mind is on John, so he asks the people, why did you guys go out to the desert to hear John the Baptist preach? What was so interesting to you about John? Why why were you interested in him? Was it because he had really nice clothes made out of camel hair? Nah. Was it because he was a prophet? Yes. And even more than a prophet, he is the one that the Old Testament said would be the messenger of the king, the one who is to come before and let everyone know that God's kingdom is coming. And Jesus said, honestly, there is nobody that's ever been born that is better than John the Baptist. But get this, in God's kingdom, even the smallest and the least person who's in God's kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And he flips everything on his head And Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, hear, believe. But then he started thinking about this generation, the ones he was preaching to, the people who were in front of him who were not believing, who were scoffing, who were offended. And he said, what? What? Like, you guys cannot be pleased. You have all these expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be like, and I'm not fulfilling that. When John came, he was in the desert, and he wasn't eating, except like locusts, and he wasn't drinking, and you said, oh, that's too hard. He must have a demon or something. That's weird. 
And then when I came, I eat with sinners and I drink. And you guys go, he is a drunk. And he, he, he hangs out with sinners. Like, you guys just cannot be pleased. And then Jesus started to call out all these towns that he'd done miracles in that did not believe. And he says, woe on you, Chorazim. Woe on you, Bethsaida. And he's literally calling out these Jewish towns that he'd been to because he'd done these miracles, and they saw them, and they chose not to believe. But then Jesus says his different way, and that's come to me. All of you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come learn from me, he says, and take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my way is easy, and my burden is light. This story comes from Matthew chapter 11 in the Bible. So if you have a Bible or an app, please get it out so that you can follow along because I'm going to be reading specific verses and I want you guys to be able to read it for yourself. So find yourself in the Bible. It's pretty cool because God has been putting Matthew 11 in my face like for the past month. <laughs> so um, when the whole quarantine began, we at Kicks were like, okay. If we can't see students face to face, we got to replace, not cancel. We got to spring into action. We got to do stuff. We got to figure this out. And we started doing a whole lot of stuff. And we want to stay connected to kids. And we have every good intention that we want to continue to serve and continue to love our community in this really hard time. But some unhealthy attitudes in me came to the surface. And they weren't new, they had always been there, but they had been kind of dormant. And as I thought about it, I realized it's this idol of productivity this idol of feeling like I'm doing something worthwhile. And if I feel like I'm doing something valuable, then I feel valuable. And so when I was doing lots of stuff, oh wow, I can point to this and this and this and look at all the good stuff I'm doing. But the second that we have to stop and everything comes to kind of a screeching halt and you know, you text 10 kids and zero respond, I started to feel like, gosh, I'm not doing anything worthy for God's kingdom. What, what am I anymore, you know? And someone shared this verse with me as I was trying to prove myself and feeling this way. Someone in a Zoom small group, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those, uh, shared Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And in the message, Jesus says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. So I was like, okay, that's going to be my quarantine verse. And I wrote it up on my wall, and I posted a little picture on Instagram. Um, if you saw it. <clears throat> uh, might be a good question for the chat. Um, do you have a quarantine verse? What's been a verse that means something to you in quarantine? Okay. So uh, then my friend recommended to me to read this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a pastor in uh, Portland named John Mark Comer. And so a lot of the ideas from this sermon are going to come from there because page one of that book is John, or no, not John, Mark, nope, not Mark, <laughs> Matthew chapter 11, 28. So this same verse coming up again. And then my reading plan that I've been going through the entire year, actually a year and a half, landed me in Matthew this week. And I was like, 
okay, so Matthew, again and again. And when I, Corey gave me the passage to preach, which had been on the calendar for literally months, it was Matthew chapter 11. So I know that God has this word for me because he's been putting it again and again and again, and I hope that you can hear how it's for you too. So the chapter is broken down into the messenger of the king, who's John the Baptist. That's verses 1 to 15. And then we've got the response to the message of different people and some wildly different responses. That's 16 to 26. And then we've got the message of Jesus, the king. And that's verses 27 to 30. And watch out, because his message is not really what you think. Jesus' way is different. So let him teach you to walk side by side with him and let him carry your burdens. So I want to start with uh, verses 1 through 6 in Matthew 11, so I'm going to read it and follow along. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So we've got John the Baptist. Like, he was Jesus' cousin. He grew up with Jesus. He was like the first person to believe that Jesus is actually God. He was doing ministry, like telling people about Jesus before anybody was interested at all. But now that he's in quarantine, that he's in prison all by himself, he's starting to get discouraged. And he starts to doubt and have questions. And I think that's really encouraging um, that even John the Baptist, who Jesus says is like the greatest of everyone who's ever lived, would have these doubts and would have these questions. And maybe you feel that too, as we are not in our normal routines or are in quarantine, it's weird, it's easy to kind of doubt. Uh, is Jesus actually the Messiah? Is he really the king or not? Um, but the encouragement that Jesus gives him is the work that Jesus is doing. Jesus is basically like, instead of just saying, yes, I'm the king, come on. He says, look around you. Do you see all of this good work that's happening? And I think that's been an encouragement to me, too, as we are in this weird time, just to look at all the things that God is doing as we're able to continue serving our neighbors through meals, as we're meeting new people, um, just that God is bringing people together and bringing people to pray, making us slow down, to sit in God's word, like God is at work, and we can be encouraged. But Jesus adds this weird statement, like, Blessed are those who are not offended by me. Blessed are those who don't fall away by me. And what he's saying is not to be offended that his way is so slow and different. Because John's in prison, and he's ready for this kingly takeover, that he's going to change everything, right? But Jesus' way was so different than everyone was expecting. And so he's calling us just to trust this slow way. When they say, should we keep looking for someone else? It reminds me of something that Peter said in John chapter 6. Because a lot of the disciples uh, just fell away from Jesus. They're like, this is too hard. We can't, we can't follow him. And so Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, 
Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I think that points to our response to Jesus. There's nowhere else for we, where we can go. There's nowhere else that has the life that we desire. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. I'm going to read that now. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. So <laughs> even though the John was doubting Jesus in prison, Jesus still commends that he is the greatest and no one is greater than him. But the least person in God's kingdom is greater than him. Because God's kingdom just flips everything upside down and those who think they're great are actually not at all. And those who are humble and feel like the least and overlooked by everybody else, those are the ones who are greatest in God's kingdom. And we see that as we come to the response, too, to Jesus' message. That those who you think would get it and believe it are not the ones who do, but it's those who nobody thought would come to Jesus. Nobody thought that they would believe, and they're the ones who do. So we're going to go to the response now, the next part. We had the messenger, John the Baptist, and his doubts, and how he could be encouraged by the way that the, Jesus was at work. And we've got the response. So Jesus came 2,000 years ago to Israel, okay? And they were God's chosen people. God had chosen Abraham a long time ago. He'd rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He'd proven himself to them again and again and again, and they just disobeyed him. They just were not interested in following him. And so Jesus, God took them out of their land. They had to leave. They were exiled. And eventually they said, can we please come back? And God brought them back, and they thought, oh yeah, this time, now that we're back in the land, this time we're going we're gonna to follow God, and we're going to do it right. And they did it. So you think that by now they would just be excited and ready to see Jesus, that God has come in the flesh, and that they would believe him. And, well, let's, let's read it. <laughs> um, so in verse 18, Jesus is talking about their response. I'm going to go back to 16. Verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Basically saying like, We had all these expectations. Why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do this? Just like little kids that just don't get it. Verse 18. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. You say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he'd done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. So they had all these expectations of who the Messiah would be and what he would be like, and Jesus just didn't fit that at all. See, the, their teachers had told them that in order to follow God, you had to be Jewish, and you had to do everything just right. You had to follow all the traditions. You had to get it just right. And when Jesus came to these towns, he was doing miracles that the Bible had predicted that the Messiah was going to do. Still look at their response. They didn't believe. 
They didn't turn from their old ways. They saw actual miracles happen in front of their eyes, and they just didn't believe. But what's worse, Jesus then brings up these non-Jewish towns that they hated, that they thought were full of just these wicked sinners like Sodom and Gomorrah, like, ooh, they're terrible. And he says, if I did miracles there, they would have believed in me. But I did miracles here, and you guys didn't. So, whew. <laughs> uh, Jesus' way is different. His res- the response is not what you would think, and that's actually on purpose. So I'm going to read verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So Jesus is saying this is exactly the way that God wanted it. He did not want to reveal it to the people who thought they were so good and so wise, and he wanted to reveal it to those who are childlike and know that they don't know everything and know that they're sinners. So this story is told in Luke again, and we get an extra verse there where it kind of tells us the response of two different groups of people. So this is Luke 9, 29, and it says, When they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. So you've got Jesus has hidden these things of salvation from those who think they're wise, from the Pharisees who, you know, they thought they knew God's word and they thought they were doing everything right, but they chose to reject God's plan for themselves. They were the ones who were seen as so good to everybody else. They were the spiritual role models. And yet when Jesus came and he said, follow me, they said, no, we'll do it our way. But the tax collectors, the people who everyone looked at as disgusting sinners, who can stand them, they steal from us, they rob us, whatever, they are the ones who agreed God's way was right. They were the ones who God revealed himself to, like little children. And this is on purpose. Jesus says this is God's will. It pleased him to do it this way. It's so that no one can boast that they're saved. It's so that only God gets the glory that he saved us. So that I can't say, oh yeah, I'm here in heaven because I did this, this, and this, and I'm so good and so smart. But instead, it's because I'm so sinful, and I'm so childlike, I'm so limited in my understanding, I can't really understand God, and I doubt, and I make mistakes, but Jesus has saved me. So let's go on now to the message. So we know that those who were wise, those who thought they were good, they were doing all the right things, rejected this message. So Jesus gives us really clearly what his message is. He gives us his gospel invitation, and that is in verses 28 to 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That's awesome. (laughs) So um, in verse 27, I skipped it, but Jesus says the only way to know the Father 
is for the Son to reveal him to you. And so Jesus is inviting us here. He says, come to me. And I used to kind of look at this verse as like, you know, if you have the topical Bible, and it's like, I'm tired, and then this is like Jesus' encouragement for tired people, you know? But it's actually so much deeper than that. Yes, it's about tired, weary people, but it's Jesus' gospel invitation. It's Jesus' invitation to come to him and find rest for your entire souls, for you to have that peace with God and have salvation. That's what he's inviting them to, even more than just, you know, a nice little vacation or rest. So Jesus says, come to me, and his invitation is to come be with him, not to do stuff for him. He says, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who labor and carry heavy burdens. And that word heavy burdens is really interesting because Jesus uses it later in Luke to talk about the expectations that the teachers put on the people to do what is good, to follow the law, to make sure they did all the right stuff. So he said, you tie up these heavy burdens and you lay them on people and you expect them to figure it out. And Jesus is saying, everyone who has these heavy burdens, who's been trying and striving to earn their salvation, to look good to God, come to me. And it's not hard to imagine. Maybe a lot of us grew up in churches where we were told, you just got to do this, this, and this, and then you'll look good in God's eyes. Or it wasn't ever said that they would, you know, say they believed the gospel, but still it was like, you didn't, you didn't do this. You know, there was the expectation that if I don't do this, I'm not going to be good enough. But Jesus is saying all of that really is just going to tire you out, and it's not actually going to earn you salvation at all. So what you need to do is come to me. He says, I will give you rest. This kind of rest is peace with God. It is rest from our striving, trying to get success trying to get satisfaction, trying to feel fulfilled in all the ways that the world tells us will be fulfilled, trying to be fulfilled in doing good things for God. He says he will give us total rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. And when I think yoke, I think of egg yolk, the little the yellow part in the egg, but that's not it, okay? <laughs> A yoke is not something we, like, talk about because we don't have ox, oxen. You, yeah, you even know what an ox is? It's like a big, you know, it's got a big back and they use it for farming. We don't, we don't have those. We have tractors, okay? But, like, they still use oxen in, like, Mongolia or something. And uh, they use a yoke across two different oxen. They put them together. And a yoke is a tool. It's a farming tool. It's a symbol of work. So if Jesus is saying anyone who's tired they're weary, come to me, I will give you a tool, like, so you can do more work, it feels confusing, because we think, like, oh, if someone's tired, they need a pillow, they need a nap, but what Jesus is saying is that we need the right tools to live. We need his tool, we need his yoke, his way of life, and that his way of life will give us the rest that we actually need. He says, learn from me. And this is the invitation to come be his disciple, to come be someone who follows him, walks with him, and learns from him as he goes about his life, as we go about our life. 
to come learn from him this different way. He says, I am gentle and humble at heart. He's different than every other expectation that we have of God, like getting on us for not doing something. He is patient with us when we are messing up, when we are not getting it. His way is just different. And you will find rest for your souls, he says. That is that deep wholeness, connection with God, just a peace. Sometimes when I sit outside in my backyard, I just kind of feel like my chest, like, I don't know, settling. And I just start to notice, like, the flowers, the birds, the cool air, the breeze, and just start thinking about God's presence and who he is and just that deep wholeness of a satisfaction and a peace in God, even amidst everything else we got going on. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, how can that be? <laughs> right? How can it be that Jesus' way is easy? Because when we think about following Jesus, uh, we think of so much stuff we got to do. We, we got to serve. We got to give. We got to... Uh, be a part of missional community. We got to share the gospel. It's like, oh my gosh, I sometimes can feel like, wow, there's just so much stuff. But Jesus gives us this picture of a yoke of two oxen bearing the weight together. Like, imagine this is the oxen. The yoke kind of goes on top. And what he's inviting us to is to walk side by side with him. That I get to walk with Jesus and we are able to bear the weight because he's carrying it. That yoke takes all the weight off of my shoulders, and it puts it on him. Jesus' yoke is easy because he carries it, but he's only able to carry it when we're side by side with him. If we're off one little ox trying to bear the weight of the world by ourselves, it's not going to work. We need to link up with him, side by side, carrying his easy yoke. So the other day I was trying to clear out a file cabinet in my office and uh, I couldn't carry it by myself. So I go ask Jules and Ace and I say, hey guys, could you help me out with this file cabinet? And they come in and they each pick up a side and then they just start walking out the door. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I like put a hand on it. I'm like, I'm helping, you know, but like I didn't, I didn't have to do a thing because they were the ones carrying it, right? And I was expecting, oh, I'll, I'll carry it, but they just picked it up and did it themselves. And that is the image that Jesus is giving us, that his yoke is easy because he carries it. We might have one little hand on the file cabinet, but we're not doing the work. Frederick Bruner says, Jesus offers us a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear our responsibility. Instead of escape, Jesus offers us equipment, that yoke. And that's not to avoid the pain in our lives, but to engage in it. I think that is so good because that's my constant reaction, to avoid. Like, I just can't deal with that right now. Uh, I'm going to ignore that conflict. I'm going to put off that difficult conversation. And I'm just going to watch a show. And then another one. And another one. Right? So we just kind of like, we have these avoidist behaviors. Like, I'm just going to be on my phone instead because I don't want to talk to you right now. Or... Oh, I really just need more coffee, or I need a drink, or like any of these things that we use to help us avoid 
the real pain, the real things that are going on in our lives, the weights that we're trying to carry on our own, one little ox by ourselves. But Jesus' invitation to us is to take up his yoke, to travel side by side with him, learning from him how to shoulder the weight of life with ease. That's a quote from John Mark Comer. His book is just fire. (laughs) And he says, there is no easy life. Life is hard, we all know that, okay? But there is an easy yoke. And Jesus gives us the secret of how to live our hard lives with ease. And that's by walking with him. Comer talks about stepping out of our burnout society into a life of soul rest. And just this book, it just, I was reading it, and it was talking about the ways that we live in a burnout society. And just the, the hurry and the busyness in our world. And it really, it just, it, it was amazing to me. When he talked about the way that humans used to live before we had electricity, like, when it got dark, you just went to bed. It's 7 o'clock, but the sun went down, so okay, what else am I going to do? And you went to sleep. And people, the average human before electricity would sleep for 11 hours a night. 11 hours a night! <laughs> like, there was nothing else to do, so they'd just sleep and they would rest. And now, like, I think I'm doing good if I'm asleep by midnight. And it's called midnight. It means the middle of the night. Why am I going to bed at the middle of the night instead of the beginning of the night, Right? And the average American gets, what, like seven hours of sleep a night? So we are running on way less than we ever used to. And we all feel this struggle to get ahead that's motivated by comparison, motivated by social media, seeing what they got, seeing what they got. Oh, I I just got to do more so that I can get there. Uh, Even when you just ask someone, how are you? Constant response from people is, good, just busy. And we see that as a good thing right? Like, oh, you're staying busy? Good. You know, like, busy seems like the good thing, but in his book, he talks about busyness is like the number one killer of the spiritual life, because the spiritual life requires us to slow down to walk side by side with Jesus, and when we're too busy, we're off doing all our stuff, and we don't have that time. We don't make that time to come and sit and be with him. So we're constantly feeling like, I just don't have enough hours in the day. Oh my gosh, I just don't have enough. And yet, we're spending hours on social media and watching shows. And we used to say, oh, if only I had more time, I would do this. And then suddenly, like, everything got canceled, and we have lots of time. And now we're just, like, bored instead of actually doing those things we wanted to do. So on top of all of that busyness that we feel like in our culture and our lives, like, we got to move, we got to be there, we got to do this stuff. Then we talk about being a part of the church, and we talk about being involved, and we talk about serving and giving and being on mission and doing all this stuff, and it just feels like too much to you because we've been living our lives like the world does and then trying to add this Jesus stuff on top. See, we've been living our lives doing everything that everyone else does, the hustle, the grind, uh, I got to do this, got to do this, got to take my kids to all this practice, got to do whatever, blah, 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 and then... We try to add Jesus stuff, and there's just no room anymore. And remember, God's kingdom flips everything upside down. What Jesus is inviting us to is to live our whole lives like Jesus did. 
Comer's got another great line. He says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And he talks about every morning he sees this group of runners come out of the apartment across the street from him. And he says it seems like, like a commune of runners live there. Like six of them all file out like hop, 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 hop every morning. And they've got their tights and they look good. They're fit. They got their runner's bodies. And he's like, they probably have runner's high. And it's like, it must be amazing. And he's like, wow, I would love that life. Like, I would just love to look like that and be fit and stuff. And then he goes, but I don't want to wake up and like run. And I don't want to do that every day, like through the summer heat and through the snow. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. He wanted that life but he didn't want to adopt that life style. And following Jesus is a way of life. It is completely different than everything we know. It's not about constant activity or adding Jesus stuff on top of our already busy lives, but it is a whole way of life asking ourselves this question, how would Jesus live if he were me? How would Jesus live if he were me. Because obviously, Jesus was not a single mom trying to care for her family during a pandemic, right? And he was not a married person struggling to love his spouse during quarantine. And he was not a student who hated online work and still had to do it. He was a single Middle Eastern guy living in the first century. They didn't have air conditioning, okay? That's when it was. But to be a Christian, even the word, it means a little Christ one. That's what it means, Christian. So if we are to be a little Christ one, we can ask, if Jesus had my life, how would he live it? See, Jesus' yoke is light, but it takes work to learn his way and unlearn all of our ways, unlearn everything this world's told us about getting ahead and getting busy and doing what we got to do, but to come and to slow down enough to be with him. And as we're with him, to let us, let him teach us. Because he is humble, and he is gentle, and his way is different than our world's way. It is possible to have been a Christian for a long time, and have not really received this rest that Jesus offers here in Matthew 11. And that was definitely me. So I was, you know, student leader in high school, serving, doing so much. I went to college, and suddenly nobody knew me, and I just felt like nobody. I felt like if I wasn't doing stuff for God, I wasn't any value to God. And my sophomore year of college, it was 2015, it's like God, like, I don't know, changed me all over again that he showed me that he wants a relationship with me, that he wants to know me, he wants me to be still and be with him and let him carry my burdens and let him teach me. And that started a process. That's been five years now that I've really been trying to grow in this area of slowing down and rest. And yet, like a month ago when the quarantine happened, I, I went in that tizzy again of, oh my gosh, I can't be productive, I can't do this. And Jesus again had to teach me and is teaching me to slow and to be with him. See, when we go about constant activity, we become like the religious people 
who look like they know a lot about God, but actually don't take any time to stop and really be with him. So we end up not really knowing God at all. We're like the Pharisees here who reject God's plan for themselves. They say, no, we'll just keep going with our way. When Jesus is offering us a way that is simultaneously a lot harder because it takes work to learn his way and unlearn our way. It takes living our whole life by his lifestyle. But it's also so much easier because it all depends on him and it does not depend on us. So that question has meant a lot to me. How would Jesus live if he were me? And I've kind of adapted it for the stuff that I do. So thinking about how would Jesus do ministry in Homestead during a quarantine? And I hope that you can use that question to apply it to yourself. How would Jesus provide for my family right now? How would Jesus love the people that I have to be in the house with? How would Jesus fill in the blank with your life? So I'm encouraging us to walk side by side with Jesus like two oxen and let him carry your burdens. I want you to do a little exercise with me. Think about what burdens you right now. And if you've got a journal or if you've got the notes app on your phone, just take a minute and think about it. What burdens are on you right now? Unemployment, family, all these things, burdens. Think about it for yourself. When I did this exercise the other day, I wrote down shame of my sin, questions of how to get everything done, feeling messed up for not being in a relationship, all these burdens that I carry for no reason. So remember that Jesus wants to carry your burdens for you. He wants you to walk side by side with him through life with his easy yoke. His yoke is light because he carries it. So I want you to take a minute in prayer and just give Jesus your burdens. Those things that you identified that you wrote down, I just want you to pray silently to yourself and give them to God because he is able to carry them. And nothing is too scary or too much for him. So I'm going to lead us in just a minute, silent prayer to yourself, and then I'm going to close this out. Jesus, each one of us carries different burdens. Each one of us has a different story of where we're at. But you invite us just to give them to you. So I pray for everyone hearing this right now, wherever they are, that you would help each one of us to give you our burdens, to take all those things off of our shoulders and onto you because you're actually able to carry them. 
Help us, Jesus, to walk side by side with you and to learn from you rather than doing constant activity, staying busy. I just thank you, God, for this chance to study and teach your word, and I just pray that um, you help us to live this week with you, to walk with you, and to ask how you would live our lives so we can be uh, little Christ ones all over our community and changing the world. So I just thank you for this opportunity we have to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being a part. So glad to see you all.